So this week we've come to the fourth week in our series, You at Work, and this week I'm going to be talking about what happens when God puts you in a job, He puts you in the marketplace somewhere, and you realize that the manager, the supervisor, the boss that you're working for, you're a lot smarter than. In fact, you know how to run the company better than they do. You would make better decisions. How do you handle a situation like that? And I have with me Cameron Perkins, who now is working with us here at Hope uh, in Marketplace Ministries. We'll say more about that later. But Cameron, thanks for sitting down with me uh, to do this. Tell me a little bit about your story. My story is I came out of college as a healthcare provider, a mid-level provider, a physician assistant specifically. And I did that for about a year in uh, emergency medicine. And I always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. So me and a partner, we left the emergency room and started a chain of urgent cares. And we opened about 14 in about eight years across the state of North Carolina. And towards the end of that, we were able to sell our company to a private equity firm. And when you sold the company, uh, were you part of the deal? Did you go with the company? I did. I, I got to reinvest some money in that company. I got to stay on the executive team there. There were seven of us and really shape and run the company uh, into the next, the next phase of it. Probably the difference though, once you sold the company, at the end of the day, the buck probably didn't stop with you. No longer. You know, the, the private equity firm, because they were dumping tens of millions of dollars into the company, they wanted to grow on a timeline and across, uh, across the country. My partner and I realized that maybe we weren't the most skilled at this, and so we willingly, with the private equity firm, went out and did a search for a CEO and hired a very seasoned CEO that had done this a couple times. Naturally, he brings in his whole team. So of seven of us, me and my partner, we were, we were the number six and seven. So here's the big question. Uh, honest time, did it cause any tension? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting when you sell your company and stay with it, you're no longer that authority. Okay. And you have still the way you used to operate, the culture you created, the way you <laughs> want to deliver the product, and when it becomes uh, a company that's run by other people, there tends to be conflict. Now, one of the things I'm going to be talking about this weekend is sometimes God puts us under authority. Like I said, we question, we maybe wonder why they're doing and making the decisions they're making. But one of the things is we have to learn is sometimes God is up to something mm. and we don't know what God is up to, but he's put us in this position for a reason. And maybe this is why we submit and we work under the authority. Uh, what did you discover looking back now that maybe God was up to? The challenge that God put me in when these people came and I willingly put myself under their authority was that he, he really began to change my heart and perspective about why I work. To the point that he was saying, because you think it's a means to an end, so are people. And now I've placed people over you that you have to answer to. How do I view those people? So what happened was, is God said to me, your work is now about expressing my character with excellence. So what happened to me over nine months is God began to really shape what work was. And the more I respected and loved that authority, the more separation occurred. What God was doing was he was shaping my spirit with his spirit. And at the end of, you know, 14 months, it was time for me to exit the company. It was just an opportunity for God then to reshape who I was and my perspective so that he could use me for the next phase. And one of the things God was up to that uh, maybe you never thought it would happen, but you're now <laughs> working with Hope Community Church I am. and you're launching and overseeing our marketplace ministries. Uh, before we tie this up, can you tell me a little bit? I mean, that's obviously what God was up to. 
a little bit about marketplace ministries and what we're going to hear in the future. To me, what God is doing here at Hope is saying, okay, for a long time the church has uh, not taught the theology of work, which is why this series is so impactful for people that I'm interacting with. That our opportunity to change culture and love people where they're at, the majority of us are in the marketplace. And so under that leadership, I've had uh, the transition that God has allowed me to come in here and, and partner with you guys to really try to create an environment where people can come together and really contextualize what it means to blur the lines between faith and work, as Mike Osborne would put it. And that's just a really exciting place for me to be because, um, you know, as, as I uh, often hear people say, let other people pay the dumb tax, I've paid that <laughs> dumb tax on living in a way that my work was a means to an end. I did a lot of good with that. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do good. We want to we do great. And so that's why I'm here and Marketplace Ministries is beginning to shape up to help people live in community to address that question and then to be able to see what that looks like living that out. So Cameron, thank you so much for you and Lisa, the impact that you've made here at Hope, and thank you for sitting down with me this week. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. This week, we're in the fourth week of our series, You at Work, and one of the things that we're learning in this series is that God is actually interested in our work. And if you were here the very first week, you know that we began by looking at Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men. In other words, Paul tells us that we're to approach our job every day of the week as if Jesus Christ is actually our boss. He's the one that we're reporting to. And we've also learned in this series that how we do our job is much more important to God than what our job actually is. And I think that's, that's hard for us to wrap our arms around. It's hard for us to understand because our focus tends to be more on God. Give me a better job in a better company, making a lot more money, and when I finally get there, I'm gonna do that job with all my heart as if you're my boss. But God's focus is, I just want you to do what you're doing with all your heart where you are right now. In other words, we're concerned about later, God's concerned about now. We're concerned about where, God's concerned about how. We're concerned about how much, God's more concerned about how diligent. And that's what we're learning in this series. Now, we're going to shift gears a little bit this week, and this is the question that I want to ask. Last week, we looked about what if you're the boss? What if you're in charge? What has God expected of you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Here's the question I want to talk about this weekend. As Christians, what do we do when we work for an idiot? That's really about as simple as I can make it, right? And I think every one of us have been there. I'll just tell you, that's where my staff dwells, you know. In fact, I walked past Donnie Peter's desk, and this was the book that was on his desk, How to Work for an Idiot, Survive and Thrive Without Killing Your Boss. You know? And so, by the way, I hope you enjoyed his message a couple of weeks. He's no longer with us. But anyway, um, you know, we've all done that. We've all, been, we've all walked out of meetings shaking our heads thinking, what in the world are they thinking? Or have you ever had a boss and you wondered, who in the world did they blackmail to get this position, right? Or if I was in charge... I certainly wouldn't do it that way. I mean, you walk out of meetings thinking, man, that boss of mine, they couldn't find their backside with two hands and a flashlight. I mean, they can take this job and, you know, you kind of fill in the blank. Every one of us has a story about working for someone who at the end of the day, we go home and tell our spouse or what, they don't have a clue, right? By the way, let me just say this weekend, uh, what we're talking about has nothing to do with moral issues or ethical issues. This isn't when your boss comes in and asks you to do something that violates biblical principles. We're actually going to wrap up our series in a couple of weeks about talking, are you in a job that you can actually do as unto the Lord, right? We're not talking about that. This isn't about your, your boss asking you to go down the street and, and rob the gas station so you can increase cash flow. This isn't it. 
This isn't about your boss asking you to sleep with a client so you can land an account. This is about a boss just asking you to do dumb things, things that you know aren't going to be productive, things that aren't going to help the bottom line, things that are going to hurt efficiency and effectiveness, things that are going to damage morale, things that just seem like the biggest waste of time to you or they make no sense whatsoever. What do you do when you find yourself in that situation? I mean, we know what we do. We complain, we moan, we groan, you know, we whine, we're passive aggressive, we get a bad, bad attitude, we walk around the office with a big chip on our shoulder. Or maybe you're like my staff. You know, they just look me in the eye, smile, and say, sure, we'll do that. And then they just go doing whatever they want to do. Maybe you're more like that. Or maybe you do it, but you do it in such a way that you know it's going to fail. That way you can go back to your boss and say, I told you it wasn't going to work. But we all have different ways of dealing with our bosses when they ask us to do something, and we just don't agree with what they're asking us to do. But here's the tension. As followers of Jesus Christ, how do we handle a situation like that? Now, this is what we're going to discover over the next few minutes. When we find ourselves in those situations, what happens is the boss asks us to do something. It doesn't make any sense to us. It seems stupid to us. We tend to focus on the what. And we look at the what that they've asked us to do, and we think, well, that's dumb. That's going to be ineffective. That's going to be inefficient. It doesn't make sense to us. It's never going to work. So we look at the what we've been asked to do, and we don't like the what. But God's going to teach us what I want you to focus on is not the what. I want you to focus on the who. I, I don't want you to focus on what you've been asked to do. I want you to focus on who asked you to do it so that's what we're going to learn if you have your bible turn with me over to romans chapter 13 uh, if you're new to church it's in the uh, new testament matthew mark luke john acts romans so the sixth book go to chapter 13 let me give you a little bit of context and background uh, when paul writes this letter to the church at rome understand he's writing to christians uh, who are in a unique situation and they're in a unique situation because they're living in rome but they're also living now under nero's rule and if you know your history, you know that under Nero, Rome became less and less tolerant of Christians. In fact, it's not long until Christians are going to be burned at the stake and they're going to be fed to the lions. You've seen the movies, right? So Paul is writing these Christians. They're living under this pagan government, very antagonistic toward their beliefs. And, and there's a general statement that's found in these verses. Let me just give it to you, and it's this. A good Christian is a good citizen. That's what Paul begins by talking about. A good Christian is a good citizen. In other words, you keep the law of the land. You don't run red lights. You don't purposely overpark. You don't cheat on your taxes. But again, let me just say something here. Paul's not talking about what we do as Christians if government tells us to do something that violates biblical principles. That's not what he's talking about. For example, uh, if the government decided next week that... Uh, too many children are the cause of global warming, okay, because they, they cannot quite find the reason. So let's blame it on the children. And so the government decided we got to stop this. And so if you have more than two children and then you get pregnant with a third, you have to get an abortion. That's the law. Well, that would violate God's principles. That would violate biblical principles. So we would say, no, that's not something that we're going to do because God's principle is higher than your principle. Or say, say the government decided that churches were going to be illegal and it was going to be illegal to worship we would say no God tells us to worship him we would be like Daniel we would continue to worship God in fact let me give you a principle uh, to kind of to tuck away as we go through this we obey God always okay we obey government usually usually we obey God always we obey government unless they put us in a position where we have to do something that violates our biblical 
principles. So a good Christian is to be a good citizen. Now that's what the chapter begins to talk about. But you got to understand, buried in these verses in Romans chapter 13 is a principle that applies to a lot of areas of our life. It applies to you as a teenager if you're living under the authority of your parents. If you're a student and you're under the authority of an administration, it would apply to you at work under the authority that God has established over you there. Really, this chapter talks about how do we deal with the authorities in our life. And he begins in chapter 13, verse 1, by saying this. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, that's a key phrase. There is no authority except that which God has established. So Paul begins by reminding us that the governing authority that we live under is established and allowed by God. Now, you can imagine how those Roman Christians felt when they heard this. I'm sure they were thinking, hey, Paul, we heard through the grapevine you always desired and wanted to visit Rome. You really ought to visit. Because if you visited, you would know that there's no way that this government was established by God. Paul says, no, no, you've got it all wrong. This is a government that was not only set up by God, it was allowed to be established. It was allowed to be an authority by God. And right now, some of you are thinking, you're like, oh, wait, 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 Mike. I know where you're going with this. I mean, you're ahead of me. And so you're thinking this right now. Mike, if you're trying to tell me that the boss that I work for, I'm under their authority, you're trying to tell me that that boss was put there by God. You've really got to come visit my work. Because the person I work for, they're an imbecile. They're, they're just an idiot. That They have no morals. They have no ethics. They have no integrity. But understand, this is the implication of what Paul is saying. God establishes and God works through authorities. But not only does God establish and work through authorities... Here's the other thing we have to learn. God is often up to something through the authorities that he's established that we don't know about. I mean, God's got a plan, something he wants to do. He's going to use the authorities that he has in place right then, but we don't know what he's up to. In fact, this is what we've learned from history. Not only does God work through authorities, he works through pagan authorities. Not only does God work through authorities, he works through unjust authorities. In other words, God directs, God implements his plans through authorities who don't even believe that there is a God. They don't even believe that God exists. All you have to do is read the Bible and you can see that God was always up to something. He always had a plan that he wanted to make sure was fulfilled. And he was always using the authorities that were in place to accomplish whatever it was that he wanted to accomplish. And most of the time, the people were, that were actually involved during that period of time had no clue as to what's going on. I mean, can you imagine living during those 430 years when the Israelites, those Jewish people, they were in bondage, they were enslaved in Egypt? 430 years. And every day they got up as slaves and they went out in the hot scorching sun as slaves and they made bricks and they said take away some of the straw and make it harder for them to make bricks and they were abused and they were taken advantage of. And I'm sure every day when they were working out in that hot sun, they were thinking, where is God? And the Pharaoh was going, ha, I am God. And God was going, no, you're not. I'm just up to something. Pharaoh, you're nothing more than a pawn on my chessboard. You're nothing more than a, a piece of lint on the page of history. That's what I could do with you anytime I wanted to. You're a pawn in my hands. Now, this is what's interesting. Neither the Israelites nor the, he nor the Egyptians knew it, but God was doing something. He was up to something. And he was using this pagan Egyptian Pharaoh to fulfill his plan. 
I mean, think about this. During this 430 years of slavery, God took one Hebrew family. Remember Joseph in the land of Goshen? There was a famine. They had to go to Egypt to find food. They ended up settling there. They were a very prolific people. And that grew from one family to over two and a half million Jews during that 430 years of slavery. God was up to something. He was building his chosen people. How about when God allowed the Roman soldiers to manhandle his son? You ever thought about that? I mean, they took Jesus, they beat him to within an inch of his life, they nailed him to a cross, and I'm sure the average bystander who was standing there watching what was going on that day, they were thinking, where is God, right? And Rome is like, we are God. But God's saying, no, you're not, I'm just up to something. Now, the bystanders, they didn't know what God was up to. And the Roman soldiers, they didn't know what God was up to. But think about this. We now get to have a relationship with God. We now get to be reconciled back to God because God was up to something and he was allowing and using this pagan Roman government to accomplish his plan. Even when Paul wrote Romans 13, I told you this is a time when when the government was coming down hard on the Christians. And I'm sure these first century Christians were thinking, where is God? And once again, Rome was saying, we are God. But God's like, no, you're not. I'm right here and I'm up to something. And God used that pagan government to spread Christianity all over Europe as the Christians being persecuted were scattered. They ran for their lives. And as they ran and as they moved all over Europe, guess what they took with them? They took with them the gospel. They took with them the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And now we get to look back and see, oh, now I get it. Now I can see that's what God was up to. And Paul basically says, since that's the case, why are you getting all bent out of shape? Why are you wondering where is God just because of how the government is behaving and just because of what the government is doing? You got to keep in perspective who establishes and allows governments and authorities to exist. Now, I, you know, I hear things from you people. And, and my wife, um, she's on Facebook. You pray for her. But she reports back to me, what you guys, you know, it's doom and gloom, it's doomsday. I mean, we had a fiscal cliff, and now we're sequestered. I don't know what that means, but it sounds binding. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, and then the government might shut down on March 22nd, to which I say, hallelujah, let it happen. Let it happen. Go, Jesus. You know, that's what I'm thinking, right? But a lot is just gloom and doom and the sky is falling and it's the end of the world as we know it. And it, we're going to be destroyed. Hey, maybe. Maybe. Because I guarantee you this, God is up to something. And how cool would it begin to be to be in the place of the generation where you get a front row seat when God puts his plan into action and it all begins to unravel and begins crushing down so Jesus can come back to this earth, judge it, and restore it as it was originally designed. By the way, if you like to study prophecy, you cannot find the United States of America in end time prophecy. We're just not there. We're going to be a non-player. I think we're going to unravel, and the rest of the world's going to unravel. It's just about perspective. It kind of excites me. Eat dessert first, you know? <laughs> Who cares? Don't worry about it, right? In the very same way, I think this is what Paul is saying as it relates to our jobs. Don't go to work and cause problems. Don't go to work and cause tension. Don't go to work and get all bent out of shape because of what you've been asked to do. Don't get all discouraged because of the decisions that your boss is making. 
remember who placed you under that authority and remember that the one who placed you under that authority is up to something. So what we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ, and this is what we're going to see this weekend, first of all, we submit. We submit and accept the fact that this is the authority that God has allowed to be established over me. I submit to this authority, and even though I don't agree with the authority, I'm going to do this job as if Jesus Christ is my boss. And we hear that, and all of us pretty much agree. It sounds spiritual. It sounds right in theory. But this is what I know about you people. Every one of you think, yeah, Mike, it sounds good, but if you knew my situation, my situation's different. In fact, if you're here and you're a teenager, you hate me right now. This is the last thing you want to hear. Because your parents, this is what they tell you all the time. They tell you, you got to submit to my authority. And it's true, you do. But it's also true of your parents. I mean, it's easy to say to our kids, I'm the parent, you're not. You're going to have to trust me. Change that skirt. Be home by 11. God has put you under my authority. You have to submit to me. But then God comes along and says, that is so true. But he says to the parents, the very same principle applies to you. I have placed authorities in your life, and you have an obligation to submit to them. And often our response is, but God, my situation is different. And God says, no, it's not. It's not any different whatsoever. I work through authority. And even though you don't agree with the what, you got to remember it's all about the who all authority has been established. All authority has been allowed by God. And then Paul continues in verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so, what? Those who do rebel will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul makes it very clear. When you fight against the authorities that God has established, you will reap judgment. You will face God's judgment. And this is the tension. This is what's so hard to understand. Even when you may be right, you'll still be judged. Look what he says in verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. You know what that means? That means as, as when you leave this weekend, if you're on Interstate 40 and you're driving down Interstate 40 and you notice some blue lights in your rearview mirror and you look down and you're doing 115 miles an hour with a big old Budweiser in your hand, you got every reason to be afraid. But if you're driving down Interstate 40 and you see blue lights in your rear mirror and you look down and you're doing the speed limit and you're drinking a carton of chocolate milk, you got nothing to worry about. And that's what verse 3 is saying. When you do what's right... You don't need to be worried. You don't need to live in fear. Verse 4, for he, the authority, look at this, is God's servant. Now let me put that in perspective. Right now, picture the, get the picture of your boss in your head, your CEO, the chairman of your board. Put their picture right there. You got it? According to this verse, he or she is God's servant for you. Now I know what you're thinking. Uh-uh. They're Satan's servant. God says, nope, nope, they're my servant. Rome, my servant. Pharaoh, my servant. And if I can handle that Pharaoh, and if I can handle Rome, I can handle your company. I can handle your boss. I can handle your board. They are servants for your good. Now, let's be honest. That's a tough one to swallow, isn't it, right? And then he gives us an illustration in verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. 
Guess what? We have a hard time with taxes, don't you? Don't we? Can you imagine the time they had with taxes in the first century? I mean, they're paying their taxes and they're wondering, why in the world should we pay taxes to Rome just so they can go out and build more pagan temples? Why should we do Or why in the world should we pay taxes to Rome so that they can misuse our money and continue to offend our God? I mean, they said, Paul, it doesn't make any sense. We're financing our own persecution. Paul, we're paying our taxes and they're using the money that we pay to buy the lions that they're going to feed us to. That's just not right. That's wrong. It makes no sense. And Paul says this. You don't pay taxes because taxes are fair. You pay taxes because Rome, the governing authority that God has established and allowed over you, they've told you to pay taxes. See, it's not about the what, it's all about the who. And if the government that God has established and God has allowed tells us to pay taxes, we pay taxes. Now this is what we have to understand. When it's all said and done at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for what the government does with the taxes I give them. Just like everybody else, they're going to be accountable to God. But I am, I am responsible for obeying the authority that God has established in my life. By the way, this may shock you, but there are probably a billion areas where I disagree with how the government uses my tax dollars. You know. I mean, I'm big on the sanctity of life. I don't want one part of one penny, directly or indirectly, going to my government to fund abortions. That would be my preference. I don't want that to happen. I believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I believe that we are knit together, as the psalmist says, in our mother's womb. God knows our name before we ever take our first breath. God created life. It is very, very important to him. And I know what a lot of people would say, but it's the law. We are given the choice. That's what's interesting. You're given the choice of whether or not to end a life, but I'm not given the choice of whether or not I help pay for it. But because the government tells me I have to do it, I have to do it. I'm not big on giving my money to support the endowment of the art so a few kids can finger paint. That's not that important to me. Hey, I, I'm just old and redneck enough. I think if the government gives you money, you ought to work somewhere if you're capable and able at working. I'm sure there's trash to pick up somewhere, hedges to trim somewhere. If we're going to give you money, at least work for it, right? So I got all kind of issues. And I could just decide I'm not going to pay my taxes. And I might be right on the issue. But here's the problem. I would be wrong on the application. You see, we don't pay our taxes because we agree with everything that the government does with our money. We pay our taxes because it's the authority, authority again, that God has allowed and placed over us. Verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Now here's the key. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then pay revenue. If you owe respect, give respect. If it's honor, then honor. I mean, one of the classic stories, Matthew chapter 22, one day the religious leaders, they come up to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, here's one for you. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And remember what Jesus did? He took a coin and he said, whose who's inscription, whose picture is on this coin? They said, it's Caesar's. And what did Jesus say? Then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God. And do you realize that when Jesus said that, he says, by the way, I'm recommending that you give them the money that they're going to use to pay for the soldiers that are going to nail me to the cross. Now let's think about that. As it relates to our job, this is what I would say. Whatever you were hired to do at your job, do it. If they hired you for your talent, give them your talent. 
If they hired you for your time, give them your time. If they hired you because of your education, give them your education. If they hired you because you brought a special skill to the company, give them that special skill. In other words, honor those who hired you and give them what you owe them. And don't make an issue about everything that you disagree with. That's not what you're there for. It's not about the what, it's about the who. Now I'll give you an example. Um, somebody answer that phone. Um, is it Jesus? Who, who is it? Whose phone is it? Is Jesus calling? Tell him I said hi. But anyway, I, I have a policy for our staff. If you work on staff at Hope, you have to tithe. You just have to tithe. And I go check records. I do. And so I find out my staff's not tithing. I talk to them. I say, you have to tithe. And some people say, well, that's legalism. I don't care. I don't care. My thinking is this. If we're asking the people who go to Hope to tithe so we can actually get paid, it just makes sense that we lead by example and we tithe. You have to tithe. And one of my staff came by my office and they said, wow, it surprised me for me to hear that not all the staff tithe. Now this guy, he's pretty new on staff and a relatively new believer. And I said, well, that really impresses me about you. Why do you tithe? He said, because you told me to. I'm like, I like you. I like the way you think, you know. You say, well, Mike, that's just wrong. They ought to have a choice. They do. They can go work somewhere else. That's their choice. That's a great thing about America. You know what I'm saying? But he says, it's because you told me to do that. It's not the what, it's the who. Now, let me give you a little Dr. Seuss theology, okay? Because you'll be able to take this home with you. Here's what I'm going to give you. When someone tells me what to do, the issue is not what, but who. Okay? Now let's say that together, ready? When someone tells me what to do, the issue is not what, but who. And people say I'm not deep and profound. Let's say that one more time. When someone tells me what to do, the issue is not what, but who. In other words, before we get all focused on what idiot came up with this, or why can't it be the way I want, we need to just pause as Christians and ask, wait a minute, where is this coming from? And if the source is the authority that God has established and allowed over us, we have to be really, really careful how we respond. Because we have to remember that God may be up to something that we don't know about. And to rebel against it just because we don't agree with it or just because we don't like the decision. Understand, it moves us from a position of being blessed by God to a position of actually experiencing, according to Paul, God's judgments. Now let me just add this before we close. From years of, of being a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what I've concluded. I believe that God uses and develops us right where we are in the situation we're in right now for whatever's next in our lives. In other words, God is going to use where you are right now for what he knows is the next phase of your life. I'll give you an example from my own life. The first church I pastored, uh, I was 24 years old. I was, Laura was 21. I hadn't been to seminary yet. I was a phys ed major. I really knew nothing about pastoring. I was a youth minister. The senior pastor resigned. They asked me to step in. Then they asked me to stay. And then while I was pastoring, I actually went to seminary. I think because God knew how inept I was and unqualified, he just allowed us to have an incredibly easy 
uh, op church to pastor. I often refer to it as Camelot. Everybody tithed, everybody served, everybody loved everybody, everybody invited their friends from the community. It was just this grassroots movement, and it was impacting the community. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Well, then my next church I went to was the exact opposite. From the outside, it looked like a promotion. Big church, big paycheck, beautiful home. All of those things you think you want as you climb and experience the American dream. It was hell on earth. It was the meanest bunch of people I've ever seen in my life. It was the most unethical board I'd ever worked with in my life. Wherever I pastor, I have a policy. If we're going to make a decision as a board, it has to be unanimous. We don't make the decision until it's unanimous. We would make unanimous decisions, and they would go out and tell their friends, I didn't vote for that. Mike pushed that through. And I'm like, that's not even possible. But those are the kind of things I dealt with. After being there one year, Laura and I were in bed on a Sunday night after they gave us a little surprise party, and we wept together and said, God, why in the world did you bring us here? And God, why won't you give us the freedom and the peace to leave? We want to leave so bad, but we knew that God had not released us from that place. So we stayed, and I tell you, while we were there, we submitted to the governing authority, the board that God had put over us, and we did it their way. And when they said, quit having the rock music, we quit having the rock music. And when we started a Saturday night service, and they didn't like it because it was contemporary, we stopped having the Saturday night service. We did what they told us to do, and God blessed God blessed and the church grew and lives changed in spite of those guys. But I think part of it was we submitted to the authority that God had established over us. But this is what I didn't know. That I was going to leave that church and move to North Carolina to start a brand new church from scratch. And this is what God knew that I didn't know. If I would have come right from the first church I pastored that was so easy to try to start a church, I would have been blown away, devastated. There was no way I was tough enough to be able to do it. But God put me in a situation where literally, literally, we came off the other side of the fire and we were tougher and we were harder and we were more focused on what God wanted us to do and we were able to do it. You see, God prepares you where you are. You don't know what he's up to, but he's preparing you where you are for that next step in your life. You don't know, but God does. So if you're a Christian, and you really believe that God is working in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you really believe that God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, then you'll also have to believe that he's going to use you where you are right now as he's beginning to shape and mold you for what is next in your life. Which means this, God is going to use the authorities you work under right now to prepare you and get you ready for what's coming down the road. So you have to remember this. The most important for you as a follower of Jesus Christ isn't that everything at work gets done efficiently. It's not that everything gets done effectively. It's not the bottom line. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, all of that is secondary. The most important issue is that we learn to respond the right way to the authorities that God has established over us. Of course you ask the hard questions. Of course you have the tough conversations. But at the end of the day, if the authority says this is the way it's going to be, then as a Christian, that's the way it's got to be. Because the issue is bigger than what you think. The issue is bigger than what you want and what you think is best for you. As Christians, the issue is, am I functioning under God's authority by functioning under the authority 
that he has placed over me right now. And accepting that, will I do my job with all my heart as if Jesus Christ is my boss? One of the greatest things you will do to undermine your witness, your ability to let your light shine before men, and we're going to talk about this more next week, is your attitude toward people that are in authority over you. Because when you act like everyone else and you gossip and you snipe and you tear down, understand the next time you begin to try to have that spiritual conversation, you know what they're going to think? Whoa, hypocrite. You're not any better than I am. So it goes back to our principle. When someone tells me what to do, the issue is not what, but let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, these practical teachings from your word. Don't like them necessarily. And they're not always easy because we've all found ourselves in situations with people that were just, oh, we just couldn't understand them. We couldn't trust them. We didn't know where they were coming from. They weren't dependable. You knew one day they might be here on one issue and then the next day they were on, they were on a different side of the issue and they were so unpredictable. But yet, Father, so many times we look back and we think, wow. <laughs> I learned a lot of things about how to be a better boss by watching someone who wasn't a good boss. So Father, I pray that you'll give us the strength and the power and maybe, maybe we got to go back to our workplaces this week and maybe we have to change and maybe we have to confess and maybe we have to apologize to some of our coworkers and say, man, I'm really sorry, the attitude I've had about our boss. You know, he's the person that God's put there and, and I'm going to go out of my way to be more respectful and to work even harder. And so we have some damage control to do. Father, help us to understand when we do that this way, we've actually positioned ourselves to be blessed by you. And at the end of the day, that's really what we want. That's what we want. We want to have your character. We want to look like you. We want to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We want to have that kind of mind. And this is just part of the process. And we give you the credit and the glory for what you're going to do in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.